Hi, and welcome to the Remote Daily Podcast. My name is Felix Siltner. I'm a New York-based German journalist, and I'm the co-founder of Work Awesome, a company that organizes conferences on the future of work around the world. In March, when the coronavirus pandemic started to put New York, but also pretty much the rest of the world under lockdown, my team and I sat together and thought, what could we do? What could we do to help our community and, frankly, also ourselves to get through this very challenging moment? And we created Remote Daily, a place where we connect innovators for a daily dose of inspiration and support. For every weekday since March 20th, we have been hosting 60 minutes of live music, meditation, amazing interviews, and breakouts so that everybody who is there live with us on Zoom can meet and connect and listen and learn. Here on this podcast, we bring you the best and deepest and most controversial conversations and moments from the remote daily experience to your ears, no matter where you are and when you would like to listen to it. My co-hosts, Britt Pham and Grace Cook and myself have the honor to take you on a journey to the best innovators around the world to understand each other's experiences, but also to learn how to work through a crisis, how to improve organizations in a moment of great change, and just how to manage our own lives between self-isolation, parenting, working, or transitioning into another life and another job. If this speaks to you, you found the right place. And if you would like to meet us live, just sign up at remotedaily.cow. But now, please enjoy the podcast. A big round of virtual applause for Farmer Josh Lee. Um, thank you so much, Britt. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Farmer Josh with Green Top Farms. You know, we already kind of started talking about what Green Top is up to, but before we really get into that, a personal question, how are you doing today? Um, I like that question. It's, uh, I, I'm all things considered, I'm doing great. Um, very grateful to be working. I'm grateful that green top is still in business. Uh, I'm actually grateful to be an essential worker because it means I'm not cooped up in my apartment all the time. I think I'd go crazy. It's one of the reasons I chose this profession. Um, all things considered, we're, we're, we're doing well and, uh, morale is, morale is up. Amazing. Good to hear. I, I definitely feel you. I think every time someone's asked me, like, how are you? It's, it's something that, like, we all ask each other in passing. And my automatic response is always like, oh, I'm fine. Oh, I'm good. Oh, it's, it's fine. Um, and I've been trying to practice, like, just pausing and, tr and thinking about how I actually feel and answering honestly. Um, so I'm really happy to hear that y'all are doing well. Um, I wanted to, to start at the roots for a second. I know... You know, Greentop is an incredibly mission-driven company. What was the original idea for Greentop? And, you know, tell us what you stand for. Uh, we stand for everything we do is uh, based on two, two key principles, and that's sustainability and equitability. Um, sustainability from how we farm to why so much food gets wasted to uh, the 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 equitability part of sustainability, meaning how do we make sure that everyone involved in the food system from farm workers to uh, chefs to uh, people who work in corporate offices uh, are all 
paid fairly and all have a voice at the table, which is currently not the case. Um, so those are the those are the two two big things we stand for. Did you ask how we got started? Also, yeah, I think I mean you sort of you start sort of covered it a, a little bit, but go ahead and tell us the origin story if it calls to you. Yeah, I was a special ed teacher. I moved up here to do the teaching fellows back in 2010. Taught special ed at a high school in the Bronx. Uh, also started a wrestling program there, and I really got a first hand view of how the food system is different in different parts of the country. And I was just sort of shocked by how many kids were not getting food on a regular basis. And the food they were getting was food in name only. It was just calories, processed calories. Um, so I decided to leave teaching. And the big idea was we were going to have a network of urban farms all around uh, New York. We were, we started on the top shelf of my closet growing microgreens, but, uh, in our heads, we were going to have warehouses full of uh, hydroponic sprouts and lettuces and tomatoes and all sorts of stuff. And then uh, we we did grow microgreens in the closet for about six months. Um, and actually had some pretty decent yields in there, but uh, it was not uh, scalable. And we would have had to go get a whole bunch of money to actually build the stuff in the warehouses. And uh, it, that's not as sustainable as we thought it was in the beginning. So we pivoted to making salads. Uh, about a year in, still, still with the greens were growing. Um, we moved into a commercial kitchen, and that led to catering, and that led to what we're doing now. So it's been a, a five and a half year journey since the first tray was planted. Beautiful. And how has life changed for you and the Green Top Farms team since the pandemic truly hit New York City? Oh man, um, let me just go to my notes here. I had some notes on that earlier. <laughs> as far as for green top, everything has changed. Um, we, we had to decide if we were going to stay open uh, in the beginning and we decided we would. Uh, and then we were just incredibly short staffed for a while. Part of it is timing. Um, our, uh, our kitchen manager, like number two guy in the kitchen behind our chef is currently stuck in his home country in Africa. He went back to visit his family. And so he can't get back until the flights open up again. Um, so Anoop has been pulling, uh, Chef Anoop has been pulling double duty. We've had to rearrange all the systems, how we pack out food. Um, cause now we're doing pick and pack. We're not doing any family style meals anymore. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it almost feels like a different business. Like we're still making food and we're still delivering food, but that's the extent of the overlap. Uh, everything else is different. I mean, considering that your team is out on the streets every day, yeah, like what does it look like from receiving the food, prep delivery? What is it? What does it feel like day to day? So, so receiving the food hasn't changed that much, except for our suppliers have uh, some of our suppliers aren't supplying anymore. Our fish supplier went down first. Um, other suppliers are have more limited inventory, and now in order to get certain things that we want, that we used to be able to get overnight. Now there's a two day window, um, even for things like chicken. So that's why we have a two day window on our website. Um, cause we can't fill the next day orders cause we don't know if we'll have the supplies in. We've also started getting donations from city harvest recently to go into the meals that are going to food pantries and soup kitchens. So th that is just, me or someone else taking the van and going to a restaurant that has a bunch of extra produce that they got to get rid of usually in some trash bags and just loading up the van 
full of produce and then bringing it back to the kitchen and then the crew takes it all out and washes it and preps it and cooks it. But a typical day starts at 5 a.m. That's when the first uh, people at the kitchen crew come. And now because uh, we want to minimize uh, interaction or people being too close to each other, we have staggered shifts. So people come in five or 10 minute intervals. Um, so, so it's not a whole group coming at once. Um, everybody in the kitchen has been wearing a mask now for four or five weeks. Um, we were for, we were able to get some masks early and now we have uh, some folks who are sewing this mask and making reusable masks and uh, we're, we're pretty good in that department. Um, everyone has to wear gloves. We wipe down surfaces a lot more. Our food safety program has become a food and people safety program. Our food safety officer is actually quarantined in DC with her daughter who has uh, really bad asthma. So she didn't want to get stuck in her daughter have an asthma attack with allergies and then have to go to a hospital in New York. So she is running our food safety program via the security cameras from her parents' place in DC. Um, most of our management team who either worked in the kitchen all the time or at least a few days a week uh, are working remotely now. And we have staggered shifts uh, in the kitchen. So we, we go a lot later, um, but it cuts down on the clutter. Um, so we don't have more than one person at a station. Um, deliveries start about deliveries for all the donated meals start at 11 every day. So that's the first thing that gets uh, cranked out last uh, yesterday. We did 914 meals packed in just over an hour, which is insane. Um, it looked like a, it looked like an orchestrated like dance almost. It was beautiful. And then at one o'clock, our grocery, our grocery store bundles start going out and they, they go till eight. Um, Delivery's actually gotten, a, I don't want to say easier because finding uh, labor, finding, finding folks to do the deliveries has gotten tougher, but with no traffic and no uh, cops on the road, you can double park and just run in and, you know, you don't have to worry about being late for deliveries. So that's, uh, that'll be a challenge once things go back to quasi normal, figuring out how to get around all the boroughs. But right now, man, it's, it's like a ghost town out there when you're driving. Yeah. yeah I hear you. Um, I'm curious cause you mentioned, you know, that you guys, you send out donated meals first and then the rest of them go out throughout the day. Um, I, I've seen on your Instagram that y'all have been providing meals for, um, like healthcare workers and such. I'm also curious, like where else are donated meals going in the city? Where, where are our food insecure communities? Who, who are you guys serving at the moment for that, that section of your business? Well, there are, unfortunately, I would say there are food insecure people in almost every community in New York. Um, they're more highly concentrated in the South Bronx, East Brooklyn, Northern Manhattan. Um, for those who don't know, the South Bronx is the per capita poorest district in the United States. It is a $2.25 train ride from three of the top 10 richest zip codes in the country. Just let you sit with that. Um, it's also part of the problem. And our meals are going to some individuals, uh, but mostly to groups who already have distribution networks. So Common Pantry in Harlem, which is a homeless shelter. Um, Mount Sinai, you asked me about the hospitals and the Mount Sinai Hospital is one. Um, the hospital meals, they pay us more than, we're, than the cost for the 
meals that go to the food pantry. So we're doing a one-to-one there. So every meal that goes to a hospital worker, another meal goes to a person in need. Got it. Got it. And going back to something you said earlier, like when, when things go back to quote unquote quasi normal, I want to touch on sort of some like big picture stuff. So, you know, you mentioned that suppliers, you, you weren't able to access like, your fish, fish distributor um, when this started. And we've heard about the supply chain drying up, workers not being able to show up to fields to harvest and farmers throwing away crops because restaurants are closed. So just on, on a big picture scale, how, how do you foresee us continuing to feed our citizens in the long run? I think this is going to force us to go more local, more regional break down the big processing centers. I mean, Smithfield pork just has closed three plants now. Uh, and it's not because there's not enough pork. It's because those places are awful to work in without a pandemic. And with a pandemic, it's like a prison. Everybody's just stacked on top of each other. Um, I've toured a meat processing plant earlier this year. And I can assure you, I will never, well, I don't want to spoil it for everyone who does eat meat. But there's some things I just won't eat ever again, just from seeing the conditions of the workers who are having to, uh, to work in those plants. So I've, we've thought for, I mean, we've known for a long time that having a large scale centralized food production is bad for everybody but corporate profits, because what it does, it uh, in, in our ultimate quest for everything to be like Amazon Prime just super efficient and super quick and whatever we want at the tip of our fingers. We've tried to mold our environment to make that happen. We've tried to make farming um, be able to produce goods in the same way that a car manufacturer could. Um, But it's completely different because parts in a car manufacturer are fungible. They can be swapped in and out. That doesn't happen. You can't do that in farming. So I think, I, I hope this, I hope this kills the industrial farming uh, industry. Mm. I don't hope anyone goes hungry because of it, but if we're being fair, people are already going hungry because of that system. And if we can come out of this with a more uh, decentralized local food network, one, it'll be more resilient. If there is an E. coli outbreak or a listeria outbreak in a smaller regional hub, that will suck but it won't be a nationwide recall like we have now. Um, keeping more money local helps economies, uh, local economies. I think, uh, you know, if we just, if I could snap my fingers and do one thing, I would, do, I would double the budget for school meals and I would require all schools and hospitals to source at least 50% of what they're serving locally. And I mean, that would, that would start, uh, that would like jumpstart a new economy of of small local farms and it would make us less subject to terrorist attacks. You know, I mean, this is coronavirus, but it could be ISIS or Al Qaeda just slipping into one of those big processing plants and putting something in there and it going to 10 million Americans before we caught it. So I think, uh, I think it has, I think we have to get, smaller, more diverse and decentralized and the people doing the growing of the food need to be making the decisions. Yeah. Uh, and just corporate accountants. 
Got no, it. No offense if you're a corporate accountant. Um, <laughs> thanks for thanks for sharing your thoughts. I was like nodding my head and like internally snapping the entire time you were you were just talking. Um, before we we close out, I you know my last question is in in the vein of a lot of the comments that are coming through the chat right now. I'm seeing folks. Um, offering support, asking how they can help, what do you need? So how can we help our, how can we help you as a company and how can we help our local farmers um, and how can we help feed our communities? Uh, there's a lot of things you can do. For us, you can, uh, if you're at home, uh, can't get out, you can order uh, some grocery bundles or you can buy a grocery bundle for someone else or you could simply donate to, just click on the donate button on our page and donate some meals. Um, we also are looking for volunteers to help make deliveries. We're looking for volunteers who have kitchen experience just for helping to pack the meals and, and cooking some of the bulk items like rice and farro and the other grains we're using. Beyond that, um, I, I want I want to challenge everybody to see yourself as a food citizen, not just a food consumer. And don't you dare forget what's going on right now after this uh, starts to return to normal. Um, Thank uh, Felix. Thank you so much for, for talking about essential workers at set, uh, and cheering for everybody at 7 p.m. My opening question, if you hadn't said that, was actually going to be how many people are cheering at 7 p.m. And two, when you are cheering, are you picturing someone in a white coat and, uh, and scrubs or are you picturing an immigrant on a bike? Um, because there's a vast difference in. No doubt healthcare workers should be getting their, their, their props and hazard pay and all the, the whole nine, uh, but so should food workers. Um, food workers, farm workers, and domestic laborers in 49 states still are, are under Jim Crow laws, which give them no uh, uh, labor protections whatsoever. And you see that in the stimulus rollout. You see that in the benefits being offered by the city. Um, I think food workers just recently got included in child health care, but uh, all the all the laws in the books were a direct result of racism back in the day. And we we still haven't undone it. The only state to do it is California. So that's something that we have to overturn after this is over. Um, look at food. Food is a political issue. You can vote with your fork. You can also vote with your vote. And that's very important. Um, and if you're looking for some other organizations to donate to, City Harvest is good. Food Bank NYC is a really good one. Um, you know, the Red Cross, any, any of those are, are doing a lot of good. World Central Kitchen, um, that's a good one. But, uh, you know, mostly keep the faith, stay positive, eat healthy, tell people you love, you love them, and, you know, just uh, put more good out there than bad because there's a, there's a lot to be focused on that's negative. But I think there's a huge opportunity, too. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, I I want to just like some folks are asking how they might be able to contact you. Um, where can we find you, and how can people get in in touch after this? Here, I'll just put uh, my email. Awesome. Thank you so much, Josh. Um, this was this was such an enlightening and educational conversation, and. We really appreciate you taking the time. I know you just, you said at the beginning that you're at the kitchen every single day. I know that y'all have a lot on your plate. So thank you for the work you're doing and thank you for being here. And with all of that said, I'm going to close this space and pass it on back to Felix to transition us into our breakout rooms.
to you, Felix. Wow, Josh, I don't even know what to say, man. Um, so much to process and think about for us here um, and uh, so much to discuss. Um, I, I have to slip in a, a final question. Are you worried to some extent about the general food supplies for, for all Americans in, in maybe the next six or 12 months to come? No, uh, I'm not worried about food running out. I'm, I'm not worried about the supply. I am worried about the supply not getting to people who need it. That's, we don't, we don't have a, we've never had a supply problem. And uh, the argument that we have to deforest the rain, uh, de cut down the trees in the rainforest because we're going to have 9 billion people and how are we going to feed 9 billion people? That's a totally red herring argument. We could already feed 9 billion people. We grow more than enough to feed 9 billion people. We just, it just doesn't get there. So we have a big distribution problem. I'm, I'm very worried about that. And I think folks are going to have to be uh, more open to what they're eating. I don't, I don't think you're going to be, able, you know, everyone's, one of your favorite restaurants might not make it through this and we're not going to have the same instant selection of absolutely anything I want to eat, but we shouldn't have that anyway. That's, that's not the most delicious way to eat. And for me, it's all about flavor. I mean, you want to eat something that tastes good, whatever's going to taste the best. That's what I want. I don't, it doesn't have to be a certain item. And so I think, uh, and that's how our menus work anyway. So I think that's going to be, uh, that's going to be a fun little journey for some folks to, to realize, uh, Oh, I didn't know I liked this or, you know, to introduce, be introduced to some new foods, but no, I'm not, I'm not worried about supply. Um, labor supply. Yes. California is having trouble with the labor supply because most of the immigrant workers uh, are stuck in Mexico because of visa holdups because of our lovely commander in chief administration. Um, so if this thing goes on for a long time, everyone's going to owe their entire, their life because their food is going to be coming almost exclusively from undocumented immigrants and volunteers. Because people who can take unemployment and it's, or if you're sick or if you have an autoimmune disorder, it makes more sense to stay home. And the uh, food system, the undocumented immigrants are already the backbone of the food system. They make up more than half of all farm workers. And, uh, They don't get unemployment insurance. They don't get any of these benefits. So they're forced to work sick or healthy. That's why you see things like well, those crowded plants shut them down. But if this goes on for a long time, then uh, I mean, I believe if, if you're out there and risking your life to feed people, you should get automatic citizenship when this is over. Um, like full stop, you know, just like if you were serving in the army or something. But we'll see. I don't know. Uh, but it's more of a, I'm more concerned about labor and distribution and, and there definitely are going to be people who go hungry, which sucks. This is Remo Daily, your daily dose of inspiration. This is Remo Daily. And Thank you for listening. If you enjoy Remo Daily, subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you would like to meet all of us live, we're here for you every day, live on Zoom. Just sign up at remotedaily.co. This is Remote, Remote Daily.